Hello, and welcome back to America's Lost History. I'm your host, Ron Wismer. Uh, episode 1.11, Virginia. I'm going to do something I haven't done before in this podcast, and I'm going to actually split this podcast into two parts. Um, partly because of the amount of subject matter we're going to go through, and partly because of just I want to keep it at a certain time frame. Um, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, we're going to start with Carter Braxton. So the first thing to notice about the signers from Virginia is they're all going to be from wealthy landed families in the colony. Uh, They're all going to be old families. None of them are going to be newcomers to the uh, colonies at this point. So Carter Braxton, born September the 10th, 1736, died October the 10th, 1797, age at signing 39. Born on Newington Plantation in Virginia, Braxton's mother, Mary Carter, would die shortly after his birth. His father, George Braxton Jr., was the son of one of the largest landowners in Virginia. His mother's grandfather was one of the wealthiest men in the family, and most of his family had died before Carter even reached his majority. Carter was educated at the College of William and Mary, and at the age of 19 he married Judith Robinson, who sadly died two years later from childbirth. They had two children together. After Judith's death, Carter went to England for two years, returning in 1760 to marry Elizabeth Corbin. Carter and Elizabeth would have 16 children together, bringing the Braxton brood up to the number of 18 total. Throughout the 1760s, Braxton remained in the family business of running a plantation and the slave trade. With his family connections and money, Braxton was easily elected to the House of Burgesses. Braxton was in favor of the Virginia Resolves that said only the House of Burgesses could tax Virginians, not Parliament. This was obviously in reaction to the Stamp Act. Braxton was sent to Congress in 1775, mostly because he was opposed to independence. On the eve of the crucial vote, his fellow delegates did not expect him to vote for independence, but he followed along with the majority and voted for independence. After signing the document, he was not re-elected to Congress because of his conservative views. Braxton did help the Patriot cause, loaning $25,000 to the government and buying supplies for the troops. He would continue to serve in the Virginia legislature all of his life. Braxton was never repaid the money that he was lent to the government, and his commercial interests suffered greatly from the war. His cargo ships were seized by the British, and his cargoes were destroyed. And his plantations were even damaged during the war. After the war, he was ruined financially. He was facing lawsuits for debts that he could no longer pay, and when he died from a stroke at the age of 61, he was bankrupt. Benjamin Harrison was born on April the 7th, 1726, and he died April the 24th, 1791. Following the pattern of the rest of Virginia delegates, Benjamin Harrison V was born into an incredibly rich old Virginia family. His grandfather, on his mother's side, was King Carter, making him a cousin of both Carter Braxton and Thomas Nelson. His father, Benjamin Harrison IV, and his wife Anne built their home on Berkeley Plantation. Benjamin attended William & Mary College, but had to leave upon the death of his father and two of his sisters in a freak lightning accident. They were closing this window in the upstairs of the house, and lightning struck and killed them. Harrison inherited the bulk of his family businesses, including the Berkeley Plantation. He was successful at managing the family estates and in being a slaveholder in the colonial Virginias. He even, at one point, owned eight plantations. Before his 20th birthday, Harrison was elected to the House of Burgesses. He remained a moderate conservative, but was sympathetic to the Patriots. He was elected to both the First and Second Continental Congress. The story goes that when Congress was deciding to elect Hancock as his president, 
Hancock was a little bit hesitant, but the six-foot-four Harrison picked up the smaller man and is said to have sat him down in the president's chair. Harrison served as chair of the Committee of the Whole. This committee was really important because whenever there were debates going on on the floor of Congress, Harrison presided over the debates and made sure they stayed in order and on business. This post allowed him to reside over the important debates on independence, both on the 2nd and on the 4th. Harrison signed the Declaration on, on August 2nd and resigned from Congress in 1778. He served as Speaker of the Virginia Legislature, and in 1781 he was elected the 5th Governor of Virginia and would serve for three terms. He was a strong supporter of the Bill of Rights. He was one of the reasons that Virginians didn't want to ratify the Constitution without a Bill of Rights. Harrison died in 1791 from an attack of gout at the age of 65. And yes, he does have two descendants that include two U.S. Presidents. Both William Henry Harrison and Benjamin Harrison are related to Benjamin Harrison V. The last one we're going to cover today is Thomas Jefferson. And the reason I'm going to break it up here is that Jefferson is going to obviously be a large topic. Um, and I do want to preface this with a warning. I'm not going to go into the politics of Jefferson. I'm not going to cover a lot of what he did as president or even as vice president. And I'm definitely not going to go into the scandals between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Um, definitely, this is something you should research further if you're interested in the topic. Uh, I suggest looking at it from both the Federalist side and from Jefferson's Democratic-Republican side. Uh, to get a sense of the politics and the dirtiness that was going on in the early um, federal government. So, let's get into it. Thomas Jefferson is born April the 13th, 1743, and he died July the 4th, 1826. Age at signing, 33 years old. Born and raised at Shadwell Plantation in Abelmore County, Virginia, his father Peter was a gentleman farmer who had ten children with his wife Jane Randolph. Peter would die when Thomas was only 14, splitting the family estate between him and his brother Randolph. It's going to get confusing because there's a lot of Randolphs in Virginia. Thomas's 5,000 acres that he inherited included what would become Monticello. Jefferson was tutored alongside the Randolph children at their plantation at Tuckahoe. At age 9, he attended a Presbyterian school where he studied Latin, French, and Greek. From 1758 to 60, he was tutored by James Murray. At the age of 16, Jefferson attended William & Mary College, where he graduated two years later, and then would go on to study law under George Wythe. In 1768, Jefferson began constructing his home at Monticello, and the next year he was elected to the House of Burgesses. Jefferson would also represent seven slaves in front of the courts, seeking freedom. In 1770, his Shadwell home burned down, destroying a treasure trove of his books. Anyone who's seen the movie 1776, uh, knows of the love of Jefferson's life, Martha Whale Skelton. He and Martha would marry in 1772, and her dowry would add to his considerable fortune. They would have six children together, but only the two daughters, Mary and Martha, would survive childhood. Martha's father died in 1773. The couple inherited his 135 slaves and his estate, but they also inherited his debts. These debts would take Jefferson years to pay off. In 1775, Jefferson was elected to the Continental Congress, arriving in Philadelphia that following May. When Congress formed the Committee of Five to draft the Declaration, Jefferson, an already accomplished writer, was a natural choice. Also, as a Virginian, he didn't have as many enemies as Richard Henry Lee. He'd secluded himself in a small parlor and wrote the draft of the, of the document. 
In September of 1776, Jefferson returned to Virginia and served in the state legislature. He served as governor from 1779 to 1781, but was not very successful. In fact, in 1781, he resigned because he had fled in front of British forces led by Benedict Arnold, who were in the area looking to capture him. He wanted someone with more martial experience to follow him. In 1782, Martha died, devastating Jefferson. He allegedly promised to never marry again, and in fact he never would. In 1783, he would return to Congress and was sent to France. He would remain in France until 1789, serving as America's minister in France, after Franklin. Upon his return from France, Washington made Jefferson the fledgling country's first Secretary of State. While serving as Secretary, he and Alexander Hamilton began their feud, which would last until Hamilton's death. Jefferson resigned from Secretary in 1793 and returned to Monticello, probably because he wanted to set himself up as an opposition leader to the Federalists. In 1796, Jefferson was elected vice president under his former friend, John Adams. The two had become bitter political rivals at this point. He would serve and preside over the Senate, allowing for raucous debate, unlike his predecessor, John Adams, who tried to set orders. In 1800, Jefferson became the third president of the United States. I don't want to go over all the accomplishments and blunders uh, of the early United States Federal Service, so I'm not going to cover what happened during Jefferson's two terms as president. So again, if you're looking for more information, I suggest you follow up. There's some excellent books that go over the period. After serving two terms as president, Jefferson returned to Monticello, where he would retire. He helped found the University of Virginia, and in 1812, Adams and Jefferson would resume their friendship through correspondence, mostly through the auspices of their friend Benjamin Rush. Jefferson's wealth was squandered, and when later his life, his debt would force him to sell his library to, to the government. This became the foundation of the Library of Congress. Sadly, this collection was burned during the War of 1812. Jefferson would die in 1826, almost a pauper, and he would die only hours before his friend, John Adams. Okay, everybody, that's going to be the end of part one while we cover Virginia. We still have uh, quite a few delegates to cover, um, but... Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed this and come join our group on the Facebook which is America's Lost History post some questions maybe uh, actually give me some feedback I have been getting some positive feedback about the podcast which makes me feel good so have a good week guys